go through that this morning, Lord willing. I should be able to get through everything. I actually got, felt like a blast of information early this morning that got added to it. And so I started putting some things in and taking some things out to make it manageable. I didn't think it was enough to do two messages. So let's see how things go. When I think about, if I was going to give one word to the book of Romans, as far as a description, I would, I might would use the word justification, justification. Uh, we talked about chapters one through eight as being doctrinal. Uh, Romans one, <clears throat> no excuse for anyone. This is the way I think about it. And you, you may have your own way of thinking about things, and that's fine, just as long as, it, you know, you meet with God, you meet with the Holy Spirit, and you get that into your life. It's your armor uh, to, to learn the Word of God. But I look at Romans 1, and I think of no excuse for anyone not being saved. The degradation and death of filth for those who refuse God. That's how I remember that chapter, Romans 2. The true Jew, not outward. But inward, the term circumcision of the heart. Romans 3, all of sin. All Jew and Gentile justified the same way by faith. Romans 4, Abraham, the father and example of faith. Romans 5, sin, the inheritance by one man, Adam, to all. The forgiveness of sin for all by one man, Jesus, the Son of God. Romans 6, old man buried with Christ, new man resurrected with Christ, living to sin no more. Romans 7, sin, a never-ending battle of this life. Romans 8, salvation begins with no condemnation, ends with no separation, and in between, all things work together for good. For them that Chapters 9 through 11, uh, I look at it as dispensational. And I throw a couple other words here. Dispensational, difficult, and sensational. Romans 9, the Jew and the Gentile, their past. Romans 10, the Jew and the Gentile present. Romans 11, Jew and Gentile future. Chapters 12 through 16 being duty. duty. Romans 12, I, I categorize as a laundry list of Christian duty. Romans 13, duty to authority, to charity, and tenacity. Romans 14, duty to convictions, conscience, and consideration. Romans 15 picks up with uh, the ending of duty to consideration, consolidation, and continuance. Continuance we see there. Now we conclude with a chapter that may seem quite simple and bland. A list of names and commendations. Romans 16 is viewed by some as not that important. Some higher criticism, those who really like try to go through the word of God, try to think that this really didn't even belong, it wasn't authorized, but it is. Um, it's the word of God. Uh, they have no backing for that. Um, actually, I think this chapter is maybe, in one sense, the best chapter of the whole book. 
and I'll explain that uh, in a minute. It's a description of what putting your faith to feet looks like. The things that are listed in chapters 1 through 15. Chapter 16 is, this is what this looks like. This is really what it looks like living for God in the church. It's a picture of what real church living looks like. You may have heard the old Negro spiritual song, The Gospel Train. You heard that? I'd like for you to imagine a train that is headed straight to God. That train is called Salvation and it has only one destination, Heaven. Okay, I want you to just draw this picture in your mind. No one gets off that train except for when it stops at every town as its passengers excitedly, temporarily plead with others to board the train with them. Some would-be riders in curiosity come to the train depot to see what the cost of that ticket is. There's a document there with a simple five-letter heading called the B-I-B-L-E. The document is long and incomprehensible to them. Except for one part that stood out, and it read, this train is headed... For heaven. Your ticket has been paid for by the engineer. The ticket is a one-way ticket. There will be occasional stops, but everyone will <laughs> board back on. The engineer will see to that. One way or the other, he will see to it. There's a warning that the default, should you not board, you will miss the greatest life you were meant to live. And you will end up in an eternal resting place in a lake of fire called hell. And then after that it says, time is not on your side. Some leave calling it a hoax. Some afraid of what others may think or the friends they will lose or the family that will shun them. Or the thought of their family being left behind. Others see some of their friends and family on board and say, that's good for them but not for me. Others feel unworthy of such an offer, while others refuse to leave what they feel is security and a great life and what they already have and decide to take their chances. Some just don't like the loss of control of their destiny. Others look to other trains that have similar claims, yet have more amenable or understandable <coughs> human terms. Hundreds, if not thousands, of reasons to not take that ticket to heaven. But there's only one real underlying reason that person does not board that train. It's chosen, listen to me, chosen unbelief. On their way out of the depot, there's a sign, and though as hard as it is for them to forget it, it is ever with them, it says in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in you. 
but God has showed unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Those words, as much as they will try to put that down and put it away and excuse it, it will penetrate the depths of their soul that they, when they leave, they are leaving without any excuse. While some walk out in flat rejection of the truth, some in fear of the truth that sits in front of them, hear a still small voice behind them saying, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. They, as we say in the morning, they turn to see the voice. From a man at the counter saying, Sir, ma'am, or child, would you like me to explain more? On this man's shirt is a name called Holy Spirit. His voice in a call they have never heard before is the voice of God himself. You want to know how you know God speaking to you? It is something you've never experienced you know. It's a sweet and kind. And he is motioning to draw them near to him. He says, come, let me help you. They find themselves at a place of decision. Some run. Some try to stay their ground, but it's impossible. They must either run from it or to it. It's called conviction. Some go to it. The man then says, let me introduce you to the engineer who paid for your ticket. The Holy Spirit takes the person to the mighty locomotive at the front of the train. As the past potential passenger goes by, he sees an endless number of train cars attached. On the top of each side of the car are different names, all beginning with the church app, and then various names of towns, burbs, cities, some even having the name of a residence or a store. The would-be passenger notices the name of his own town on one of the cars. As he approaches the train engine, the Holy Spirit introduces me, now I'm going to make this personal, to the engineer whose name is Jesus. Jesus reaches out his hand very humbly and says, my name, like he has known me all my life. With a kind smile, he says, Tim, like I said, you can insert your own name here. I've been waiting to meet you. I made you, and I know you, and I know your every sin. But I came and paid your sin debt, that you might receive me for my train to heaven. He then takes me to the engine whereby the train is fueled. The fuel is something very disturbing. Blood. He says to me, for this is my blood. the New Testament, which is shed for men for the remission of sins. For your sins, then, it was just me and Jesus. He says to me, 
I have a perfect place for you. A perfect life reserved just for you. If you will, but by faith, repent of the life that you have made for yourself. And receive the life. Jesus hands me the ticket that says that if thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. He then says, go to the train car. You already know which Hand the conductor your ticket and submit to him. He is my messenger. Follow him as he follows me. Submit to my ordinances as he has been instructed of me to instruct you. And all that he tells you to do, because he's my under shepherd. And he will care and guide you in your journey along with the others and fellowship together with you in this journey. Romans 16 to me describes the people in action of those people on those train cars. His church, his churches, the churches of Christ. The message today is entitled, and I'll entitle it with inflection. Oh, Lord! Father, as we look at this thought of being on the train of salvation and all the ingredients to it, by his word, through the Holy Spirit, through belief in him, through trust into the church and through the ordinances and guidance of pastor. We now aboard and see people on this train, the real church. Help us to see what we need to see today. Help us to examine our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. That is the message today in Romans 16. Well, let me let me start with a little story. A story of witnessing to a fellow. I was just on the phone with him last night talking about a, um, an application at work. Uh, he was used to live here in Milford. He moved to Texas and have a project. And uh, so he works another job now. And so uh, I usually talk to him late in the evenings and or on Saturday. So I, I was talking with him late last night. His name is David Chin. You've heard me talk. Before. I remember witnessing to him. But God really touched his heart. He went through a really tough time. And God just happened to put me in the position to talk to him about the Lord. Most honest, upright guy I've ever seen. <laughs> he told me, he said, Tim, he says, if I believe. I will be all and I believe he would be all in the family. Speak languages. Maybe more, but he knows Chinese. 
all they've got here. That's why it just burdens me so much. I just God, we can't lose this morning. The message is about being all in. You know, sometimes we we hear when we get on a moving vehicle or a ride to keep your hand, your head, your feet all inside the vehicle. Or don't get off till the vehicle comes to a complete stop and you're instructed to get off. I liken these commands as the fear of God. I was listening to a message by Pastor. He's called about fear God. Uh, and he was talking about just using all the scriptures. But this is what came to my mind. You know, I always think of the fear of God. I'm thinking, but I've got this view now fear of God, you being on that train car and God's will, God's perfect will, doing exactly what he says, being under the authority that God's given, <laughs> without any hands hanging out, without any feet hanging out, or jumping on and off, okay, because the fear of God, the fear of God is being outside that law of God. That's the fear of God we all have to fear ever being outside of what he wants us to be in the church. So I want you to think about that as I continue. Let's look at Romans 16, beginning in verse 1. I commend you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centuria, that you receive her in the Lord as become a saint, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath succored of many and of myself also. The word succor is the Greek word prostatis, which means a patroness or a sister. A succor. That's not a common word that we use. I'll give you a good example of this. This is the picture of my wife in the ministry. I think of her as a queen. She assists me in what I do. <laughs> She's an assistant. She is striving in the ministry for the good of the saints. I mean, she just has a heart to just go after and do things. You've been around her enough. She just, I mean, she, she'll go overboard <laughs> in some areas. She is trustworthy. She is the pastor's chief help in the ministry. When she has ladies' Bible studies, do all you can to be there. She's doing it for you. She loves you and cares for you. It'll be worth it. You know, the Bible says not to muzzle the ox. You should not muzzle the, the ox's wife either. Support her, get to know her, love her. Phoebe is the one who appears to be the one who will be delivering Paul's letter. All the people he uses this lady Phoebe. She's going to take it to the church of Rome. She is a doer, dependable, and a great help in the ministry of Christ Jesus. Verses 3 and continuing on, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, 
who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also unto all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Athenetus, who is the firstfruits of the Kai unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Adrianicus and Junium, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Grant and Amphilius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Thyphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asencritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philogulus and Julia Nerasus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. The list of names. As pastor, I do not like reading through this. It's difficult. For me, it's a lot to try to figure out how to pronounce those names. Now, verses 17 through 20 is Christian love by protective counsel. The same kind of warnings you give to your family, and I want you to begin to see that inside this, these train cars of, of salvation, the church, it's like a family. And in a family, you give this these same kind of warnings from someone from the outside is threatening your well-being, your security, or the strength of your family. Stand up. There's a short jump off in verses 17 through 20. So it's like a warning here before it gets back to accommodations of other people. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Sounds like a dad to his kids. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple. Concerning you, one, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, jumps off, gives a warning here. And he jumps back into condemnations or con commendations of believers. Verse 21, Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. If you know Paul, right, his secretaries, and a lot of the scripture today. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluted you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you, and Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And then Paul concludes the book of Romans with these words. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, 
according to the revelation of the mystery. Revealed that wasn't uh, in the Old Testament, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, make known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God only once. The glory of Jesus Christ forever. Just pray it. Jesus receives glory through. The chapter starts with the recognition of individually saved people. Salvation begins with an individual's choice to believe on Jesus Christ. All of the saved consist of single-person conversions. I've painted that picture. It's you and only you before Christ, revealed of the truth by the Holy Spirit of God, and your acceptance and belief. It's a personal call, a personal choice. For the most part, individuals are named as Christians in this chapter, though there are groupings of individuals mentioned like the house or household of. But each one of those groups consists of personal decisions to believe on Christ. And I think it's wonderful. And I love reading in the Bible there somebody gets saved and their whole household gets saved. That's how it should be. Our church should consist of, it doesn't always happen this way, but really the natural thing is that a father and a mother, they're saved and they raise children and they're saved and the whole household is saved. That's the right picture. There are several names given in this chapter to reference a saved individual. The word saint is used. Romans 16.2, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh a saint. In Romans 16.15, it says, and all the saints which are with them. Saints is a general term for anyone that is saved. Saints are not exclusive, extraordinary, special Christians given the name saint by the church according to in accordance to scripture. If you are saved, you are a saint. It might be interesting for you to know that we have Saint Nick in the church. <laughs> the chapter also gives us other names for the saved in this chapter. Sister or brother in Christ. Beloved. Listen to these words. Or well beloved in the Lord. In Christ. Approved of Christ. Or chosen in the Lord. Helpers or laborers in the Lord. Those who are in the Lord, the saved, are characterized by loving affection. It's easy to see this type of characterization in family units, isn't it? And the saved are members of a family, the family of God. Just as an earthly family shows affection of words and appropriate touch, so much more should be the eternal family. We see multiple expressions of affection of God's family in chapter 16 of Romans. There is the word greet, or greet with a kiss. It says a holy kiss. Holy denotes moral appropriateness and purity. I suggest a handshake, right? as opposed to a kiss today. The more common word used in this chapter, though, is the interesting word is salute. 
forms of the word salute are used 17 times in this chapter. No other chapter or other, or other book, for that matter, comes anywhere close to the, to the impetus for showing affection one to another in the church. Though by implication, the word salute could mean a type of soldier salute. And certainly takes in some acknowledgement by waving of the hand as to acknowledge someone far away. You know, when we say, hey, so-and-so, you know, and they're, they're over there and you're over here and they're gone. You, you wave to them. But the word seems to be centered around a more close affection. The Greek word salute is as pad zoma. It means to enfold in the arms. By implication, to salute, to welcome, embrace, greet, or take leave. Being in the family of God is an affectionate relationship in all purity. When showing affection, we should exercise discernment, and we should be sensitive to the Spirit. If we get too chummy, and it happens in churches. It can lead to defilement or impurity. It's unfortunate that occasionally, at times I've had to, or I've seen others have to deal with that. That's a very rough spot to have to be in. On the other hand, if we are so far the other way, we miss the opportunity to minister love of God to a brother or sister in Christ, or even an unsaved loved one in a meaningful way. At that point, we bring coldness into the family of God. It can make things as awkward as an impure grace. I had a situation where our neighbor from across the street came over, and she was ladies were meeting and I was there and I was getting ready to go. She came over and she, she greeted me and I said hello and she comes over and says hug. And she gives me a hug. And it was just a nice little, it was the right kind of hug. Now I did tell my wife, I said now do you have any concerns with that? I said I felt like it was the right thing to do. So sometimes there's the right kind and the right thing to do. Sometimes you got to really trust the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul gives Timothy a simple guideline in the church. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, and the younger as sisters. Listen to these words. With all purity. May I not forget the overriding setting of chapter 16. The setting is the church. Churches and cities, in houses, working independently, loving cooperatively to the same end. It is a wonderful thing. My church family grows. As others come from other churches. I get to know other people. I see the love they have for them. I enjoyed that love. We had missionaries that we begin to love and to understand and know, and it expands. You know, church or churches is mentioned six times in this chapter alone. There are two other chapters in the Bible that uses the word church or churches more frequently than Romans 16. 
That would be Revelation chapter 2, which we're talking about, which is an address to the churches by Christ. So it makes a lot of sense. He's going to repeat that word church and churches. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which Paul is addressing the order, decency, and righteous use of your gender and gifts within a church body. It's all in the context of the church and how we're to behave in the church. But Romans chapter 16 is a view of saved people serving together through independent churches and cooperatively working together with other churches for the gospel's sake. For the end of the glory of God is like that big train going all in the same direction. Jesus is there. He's the one who's pulling it. He's got his under shepherds on each car, and they're working together, and they're all pulling in the same direction. It is the best chapter in my mind that personifies what fellowship truly is in the church. May not be what the, the standard church today does. We spoke about the expressions of affections that should exist as displayed in Romans 16. These expressions are a result of something. You know, it's something that of a working together, a sharing together, and a relationship of love that only comes from years of commitment and close connection of lives. You know, God has given us a natural family as a living example of being a part of a loving family. That's how really our church is. Though the families that we grow up in aren't perfect, I believe each one of us know well and understand what that acceptance and loving bond between parents and siblings is. It's irreplaceable. The world even knows it. Everybody wants to come home for Christmas, don't they? The church, our eternal family, should, and even more so, exhibit the same acceptance and bond of our earthly family. Romans 16 really tells you what that looks like. That bonding in an earthly family does not come easy, does it? Sure, there are great times and we share on like family vacations and we can talk about those, but there are closed doors for those who are sisters. Brother Mike, you, you had brothers. Those were knocked down, dragged out, fight you. <laughs> Stuff like that. Girls, they fight over the clothes. Hogging the bathroom. Now, if you were my sister, you would experience mustaches being drawn on your baby clothes. <laughs> I look back, that was real <laughs> Permanent markers. Oh, they were, I gave them the ones that were like this. Boy, my sisters were <laughs> But the one thing that stands true for family members, they're your best fans. They'll be there for you. We can count on them. We know that by defining moments that come in a family that tests us. Sometimes there are responses of deep love that only come through difficulty and sorrow. The same is true for a good church. And Romans 16 lists some of those characteristics. One says, I commend. Commend means to recommend, to speak for positivity. You ought to be able to speak that reach out to Servant, to have others' interests above your own. Receive, to include in and with, to not have clicks. 
to see someone who feels separated and bring them in and make them a part. To assist, help those who are helping others. A super. This is a proactive person in ministry. Looking to what others might need and taking care of business without being asked. Helpers. I enjoy watching people pitch in, you know, when you see something happen in church like that. Takes chair moves. And then it says, lay down your necks. Nothing speaks love like when it comes at the cost of your own life, your own pleasure, or your reputation. That you speak or do that's at the cost of, of you. That's love. There's labor. They that put a, work, a lot of work into the church ministry. Protector from the outside. Verses 17, 24, we talked about that. Guarding the family against bad people and examples, tricky people who are deceivers. We watch out for each other. And examples. Paul mentioned those who were saved before him. He says, those who came to Christ before me. We have those who are older Christians leading as examples. Then it says, host, bringing others into your home. Case was a host. Hospitality. Lest I forget what Paul was getting ready to do, take collections from Christians to help other Christians in Jerusalem. The giving of our material wealth. Even the sacrificing together for the cause of Christ. We have goals in our church. A building project, reaching out in ministries. All these take time and love and effort and finances. A family participates together in all these things. Remember me talking about keeping your hands and your feet and your bodies inside the fear of God outside of that? Remember Ananias and Sapphira who kept back when they do their own thing? They stepped out of the will of God and cost them their lives. God will get them there. God will get us there. It may be in the back car, dead. People watch it. May lose a finger or two sticking our hands where it don't belong. He's, he'll get us there. He's the engineer. But we need to be inside the will of God. We need to work together. Romans 16 talks of these people. You know, we've done a lot together in our church this year. I'm, I'm really excited to look at the, the end of the year and all that was, was done with our group. But what excites me the most is to see us all participating together. You know, this year's pro Christmas program was a stretch from the very start. Participating with a float in the parade at late notice and a week earlier than expected was even a greater stretch. But seeing the people of the church come together, all doing what they can do, was the best part of that. Amazing. And I hope you received a vision for what it means to be a Christian. Look at the people listed in Romans 16. What it means to be a part of a church and what being a part of a church family really means. Are you all in? 
Are you half in, half out? Occasionally in? Or maybe you're not at all in. Just hopping on a church train every once in a while and board a car is never ever in your heart. That you're never ever accepting Christ as your Savior. With heads bowed and eyes closed, and pianists come into play. What a chapter. I mean, we could skip over this thing in Romans 16. Just look at all these names and, you know, man, there's a lot there. This is, this is where the boot hits the ground. This is what it's about. I've been called a derogatory term in my family, churchy people. his church. It's his institution. He knows what he's doing. He knows where it's going. He knows what's best for us. I encourage you to stay inside. Do what you should be doing. But no one will join me and still I will come. It's a good place to worry about. There's a lot you're going to miss outside that train. What's inside that train and where it's going is what's most important. When we get off that train, when he says, the Lord says, you can get out, go with us, go tell others. I get on the board and that train is salvation for you. Jesus gave toward the end of his ministry as he, before he goes to the cross. He gives a new commandment. It says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Do you know how people are going to know we're Christians, that we're true disciples, that they're going to see Christ? It says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. He repeats in John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And in John 15, 17, these things I command you, that ye love. church is not this thing we play around with. It's important and it's good for us. Don't get discouraged. I'll just tell you, church is hard work. It goes against our flesh a lot of times. And we just need to do what's right. We just need to show up and do the best we can. It'd be amazing what God will do. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. For your message to all of us, to me, to each one here, to those who will be listening uh, later to the message, may it encourage our hearts. May it see our purpose. May it see, may we see each other and those outside that trade like we should see it. And get busy for you. Thank you, Jesus. For saving me.
I serve you. Do his work. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.